The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sporkbox. Here are your headlines today. Chinese economic growth slows and comes in short of expectations in the second quarter at 7.9%. But retail sales and industrial production both surpass forecasts. Fed Chair Jerome Powell sticks to his script telling Congress the central bank still believes inflation is temporary, but that it stands ready to take action if proven otherwise. If expectations do move up in a way that is troubling, which is to stay materially above and for a persistent time, we would be concerned and we would react to that. We've got more Wall Street banks beating earnings forecasts, with shares coming under pressure over low rate concerns, whilst inflation also overshadows a solid set of numbers. I do not believe inflation is going to be transitory, that it's going to be uh, you know, more systematic over time. And how the Federal Reserve and how other central banks navigate that is going to be very important. Here in Europe, Diamond's second quarter profit beating estimates at just under five and a half billion euros as higher prices help the Mercedes-Benz maker offset rising costs from the global chip shortage. The European Commission unveils its bold plan to tackle climate change and slash emissions by more than half from 1990 levels by the end of the decade. Yes, it is hard. If we would renounce our obligation to help humanity live within planetary boundaries, we would fail not just ourselves, but we would fail our children and our grandchildren Data out of China today, closely scrutinized by the markets and China's post-COVID economic rebound cooled in the second quarter, with GDP rising 7.9%, missing expectations. The read was a significant pullback from the first quarter's record 18.3% rise. However, other key data beat forecasts, with retail sales, industrial output and fixed asset investment all coming in better than expected. Let's get out to Sam to break this down for us. Sam, I think many people had been nervous about what the data would look like today after we saw the moves on the triple R by the PBOC recently to try and support the system, provide extra liquidity. Just give us a read through about what the data says about momentum in the Chinese economy. Absolutely. Good morning to you, Karen. Certainly it was a mixed bag in terms of that data today, which probably makes it a little bit tricky uh, to decipher and make sense of it all at first glance. But certainly most economists that we have spoken to have said that the set of numbers that we got to d- today does look relatively OK and perhaps a signalise signals some normalising perhaps as we have seen this a strong bounce back in terms of the economic recovery. I mean, uh, there was no doubt that the Chinese economy uh, did start to lose a little bit of steam in the the second quarter. Certainly the data that we got over the last three months uh, was pointing towards that. Uh, but really, this only grew a smidge lower than the market was punching for 7.9%. But it's perhaps about the optics of not hitting that 8%. And that is perhaps uh, why uh, it is capping gains over on the mainland market today. Uh, that certainly marked a dramatic slowdown from that record 18.3% we saw in Q1. But of course, we do need to factor in that that headline number was largely juiced up uh, by the base effect. And so if you 
look on the quarterly basis, it actually was up 1.3%, uh, which was compared to that 0.6% in Q1. Uh, but of course, we do need to factor in the Lunar New Year holiday. And so if you look at Q4, it was actually down from uh, 2.6%. And that did come certainly as we have seen in the second quarter, these factories facing a lot of headwinds and challenges. We saw these higher commodity prices, this chip crunch, and also these supply chain bottlenecks are largely caused by a spike in cases in Guangdong province in the south of China. That also did take a hit to consumption in the second quarter. Uh, but at the same time, as you pointed out, all three economic indicators actually did better than expected in June. And some economists have actually suggested that shows the resilience of domestic demand over in China, perhaps things uh, starting to get back on track and particularly when it does come to that uh, consumption. So there was uh, some upside uh, surprise. Retail sales up at 12.1% despite that spike in cases, uh, certainly denting confidence uh, last month. Guys, back to you in London. Sam, a brilliant uh, summary of everything going on there. Just a quick question from me. Uh, and I noticed in some of the data that although the broader unemployment rate is moving in the right direction, i.e. going down to 5%, there is a really worrying trend. And I'm worrying, wondering if this is a societal stroke economic trend and it's something that Beijing would be very worried about. And that is the youth unemployment. I noticed in the, just my research, that 16 to 24-year-olds, the unemployment there has now gone up to 15.4% when the overall figure is going down. Is Beijing worried about this? This is one of the biggest concerns uh, for Beijing. We've certainly seen that over the last uh, few years. They really have been focusing on trying to create more jobs, certainly in the urban areas, which that data that you just referred to actually focuses on. It grew 5% uh, in June. That was steady from May. But as you rightly pointed out, 16 to 24-year-olds up 15%, really signalling that it is a lot harder uh, for those young ones to get jobs, and particularly at an age where they're all uh, graduating from uh, university. And so so actually, uh, to uh, supplement that uh, data, the Stats Bureau did actually come out today saying that uh, there is relatively big pressure uh, on the labour market and, and on the employment front. And so while you know China's economy certainly is starting to recover, uh, as I've uh, mentioned, uh, there are some uncertainties because if you look under the hood, uh, you know this economic recovery is still uneven. You've got the scarring on the services sector. We saw that in the la- latest PMI numbers, and particularly uh, when it comes to that labour market, there are big challenges for some of these uh, smaller and medium-sized businesses. And, uh, you know, economists have certainly said that uh, this income uh, distribution needs to be improved uh, before we see things uh, getting back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. Guys, back to you in London. Sam, thank you very much for the detail there. The U.S. Senate has unanimously passed legislation banning all imports from China's Xinjiang region. The law sets an assumption that the goods from the province, including cotton and solar panels, are made with forced labour. The bill now heads to the House, where a similar measure was already passed last year. Right. The Fed Chair Jerome Powell has played down, as you may well have expected, the recent surge in inflation, telling lawmakers that the economy remains, quote, a way off the central bank's targets. Mr Powell said inflationary pressures will continue in coming months before moderating, but admitted the FOMC has begun talks on reducing the pace of asset purchases. Well, the Fed Chair also came under fire from a Republican lawmaker for the central bank's policy stance. The very high inflation readings are coming from a a small group 
of goods and services that are directly tied to the reopening of the economy. With all due respect, Chairman Powell, I mean, it's, it's, it's housing, it's appliances, it's food prices, it's electricity, it's gas. Well, so we are monitoring the situation very carefully and uh, we are committed to price stability. I have to say, and just before we move on, you've got a politician there dealing with real constituencies uh, and constituents who are seeing price rises. And then you've got a central banker who is looking at the data and saying, oh, but these are just transitory. These are because of base effects. These are because of short term opening. And the, and the two don't meet, do they? I mean, this is the problem. Real world versus central banker. Central Bank of Predictions and that. And then this having a real conflict as well. Now, look, speaking to CNBC, the ARK Invest CEO and CIO, Kathy Wood, said she believed one key driver of inflation actually would soon ease. We believed used car prices are uh, going to, to fall. Uh, they've, they've gone way too far, way, way too fast. And um, we, we talk all the time about the deflationary forces associated inflation. I believe Leah earlier mentioned it. Uh, but it's not just on the disruptive innovation side. Our companies causing uh, these uh, falling prices that uh, explode demand. That's good deflation. Our U.S. colleagues also had a great chat with Larry Fink yesterday, the chairman and CEO of BlackRock. Uh, he weighed in uh, on the inflation spike, telling CNBC in an exclusive interview about his real concerns. I worry about inflation. I do not believe inflation is going to be transitory, that it's going to be uh, you know, more systematic over time. And how the Federal Reserve and how other central banks navigate that is going to be very important. Yes, central banks keep rates low or negative in Europe. The savers are getting slammed. And you're absolutely correct. Asset owners are the biggest beneficiaries of monetary policy. Uh, Bill Smead is CIO of Smead Capital Management. Bill, I didn't get a lot of notice yesterday, but I thought the Beige Book really summed it up as well. Look, so some contacts felt that pricing pressures were transitory. The majority expected further increases in input costs and selling prices in the coming months as well. So basically, is the Fed telling all of those companies and all those contacts in the Beige Book that they're just wrong? You know, I, I remember back in 09 and 010 when the United States government borrowed a tremendous amount of money to recapitalize the banks. And a lot of smart people were convinced that there was going to be a huge amount of inflation. In fact, one of your guests back then was Jimmy Rogers, uh, the famous investor. And he was arguing heavily that what they did was going to be inflationary. But if you double the amount of money in the bank, but no one uses it, it's not inflationary. But this time, we have borrowed $4 trillion and literally put the money in the hands of the consumers. Uh, the, 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 the classic definition is too much money chasing too few goods. And in the United States, there's 90 million millennials doing things household formation-wise post-pandemic or in the pandemic that are kicking the whole thing into gear, buying houses, buying cars, living life, uh, having families. These are things that will be inflationary and it harkens back to the 1970s. So let me just um, 
move this on. We've got another three and a half trillion spending plan coming from the administration as well. Of course, the Republicans uh, blasting back against this two track infrastructure package as well. Just to confirm, that's only going to compound problems then if we have even more uh, federal money going into the system. Yeah, ironically, the head of Bank America reported yesterday that they're not seeing as much loan demand as they would have normally in this situation because of all the money that citizens are being given by the United States government. Savings rates are the highest in my lifetime. Household debt service ratios are the lowest. So here we are. People want houses. They want cars. And it is not just there. I, I spoke to a, a woman that owns a trucking company in Portland yesterday, Portland, Oregon, and, and she said she is having an impossible time finding drivers at extremely attractive wages. And that's true up and down the economy. Bill, I don't think anyone at this stage thinks we're in a, an environment of smooth data and given all the extraordinary pandemic trends we're watching. So I wonder why we think we're in an era of smooth policy either. And that just brings me to the point about the tools that Jay Powell may have at his disposal now. We've got much higher debt ratios back now than versus the, the 1970s. If we do eventually get a rate hike, doesn't it stop some of the inflationary pressures very quickly? Well, no, it depends on what the rate hike is associated with. In the 1970s, inflation would go up and then rates would go up and labor costs would go up in inflation. We had both demand pull and cost push inflation simultaneously and, and rates would climb higher. You see, what's so incredible about this circumstance is interest rates and inflation have gone down in the United States for 40 years. Uh, it, it, it's unprecedented time period. And therefore, people think what's happened is always going to happen. But, but there is a substantially different dynamic now. And, and that dynamic is that, that the, the trillions of dollars of borrowed money and much of it literally put in the hands of the citizenry is now going to bang up against a shortage of the goods that they want to buy. And it's going to last for a long time. We're so underbuilt single family homes in the United States. Uh, it's incredible. We're only up to the worst home building divided by population of the last 40 years prior to the, you know, the meltdown and financial crisis. Bill, uh, I gather when you're humming along the highway, it's easy to miss those road signs sometimes. So thanks for pointing them out. But let's just draw some links to the market because what we had yesterday, investors getting back in there, buying the dip, not concerned about any of the warning signals that may be there. What do you think we do on the markets from here? You know, what do the signals mean for further appreciation on some of these stock prices from here? Yeah, Grantham Mail Van Otterloo put out a piece this last week that I, I thought was spectacular. They, they looked at the biggest drawdowns of value in comparison to growth over the last, say, 30 years, and there were 10 big ones. Of the 10 big drawdowns in value, like what we've had in the last month or two, four of them were in 2000 to 2003, the biggest and best value versus growth stretch in the last 30 years. So in other words, in a bull market for value, the corrections are violent. And, and that's exactly what we saw yesterday. They hit the oil stocks really hard. Now, let me connect 
the, the main street economy with inflation. Everyone around the world would like a cleaner environment. There is a cost to a cleaner environment. The cost is going to be dramatically higher energy prices. Anyone that thinks that the body politic can get cleaner energy without creating a significant scarcity is in dreamland. Bill, in terms of the broader market from here on in, we're talking about violence in the markets. The, the, the VIX is barely moving these days. It was down another 4.6% yesterday, despite everything we're talking about, all these individual sectors, about the banking sector, about what we're seeing on the Beige Book from Powell, etc. We've got other data out today. It's down at 16.33. And you'll know this from your experience, Bill. That is a historically very, very low level. Considering we're there or thereabouts on record levels on these markets, are we pricing risk effectively, correctly in these current environments? And, and if not, do you think actually that there could be some violence to the downside? And you're just talking about the, the, the oil stocks there and the oil price as well. Could it be more aggressive across the market? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It's, it's kind of like the same question when people ask me, what is a 1.35% 10-year treasury telling us, right? What is the low VIX telling us? What is the high uh, bullish sentiment telling us? And all the speculation that's gone on. The, the, the answer is that, that all it tells you is those are the prices that people believe are correct today. It's where the buyers and sellers are meeting today. Uh, but what we know is that, that markets love to beat up the crowd. And right now, the crowd is betting that rates are going to stay low and we will capitalize. Like Warren Buffett says, low rates are like eliminating gravity to price earnings ratios. So I, the, the market, we believe the S&P will not make any money over the next 10 years. We believe that inflation will rise, price earnings ratios will go down, and the stocks of companies that benefit from inflation will be the winners. And the market massively underowns oil, real estate, home builders, and other businesses that would benefit from that inflation. Bill, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Great to hear your views. Bill Smead with us, CIO, Smead Capital Management. And just a, a quick reminder, later on, our colleague stateside will be speaking with U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. That is an exclusive interview at 10 p.m. CET. So no doubt uh, some very interesting lines on how the Treasury Secretary feels about inflation at this point. Uh, Steve, I know you're looking at a, a trading update from Just Eat with some staggering delivery order numbers. Yeah. But less staggering profits. <laughs> yeah, this is well-trod ground for you and I. By the way, Karen, can I just say on the, on the other work you and I were doing yesterday evening, magnificent effort. Your stamina is quite extraordinary. Um, right, let me move on. Uh, JustEatTakeaway.com. This is a stunning number, okay? I am not going to dispute this. In fact, I think it is an extraordinary figure. Just Eat delivery order growth in the UK was 733% order growth in the first half of 2021 compared with the same period in 2020. Now, of course, there are factors year on year, base effects, perhaps as the Fed would call it as well. Uh, first half orders 2021 are up 61%, now 51%, including Grubhub. These are fantastic figures. In fact, their, their gross transaction value as well, uh, moving up aggressively. They are upgrading their guidance uh, for more than 42% uh, order growth at JustEatTakeaway.com, including 
uh, Grubhub as well. So very, very big sales. That is great, fantastic, but they are still not making money on those sales. The company will tell you they are. This is all part of the growth phase. I'm telling you on accounting that they are at the moment still losing money on those sales, despite having a 733% increase in the first half of 2021. The adjusted EBITDA margin, which is, as you all know, adjusted EBITDA is earnings before pretty much everything, includes the significant impact of fee caps and voluntary partner support of approximately 200 million in the US and Canada. But they are still talking about an EBITDA margin in the range of minus 1% to minus 1.5% of GTV, which is gross transaction value. This is a company that say to me they're in a growth phase. And that is very clear from those extraordinary sales figures. I would say back to the company, that is great. But the fact of the matter is on accounting standards anywhere in the world, you are still losing money despite your huge, huge growth as well, okay? So normal economies of scales do not appear to be applying here as well. So I just wanna get this right because I know a lot of people get very funny about this on both sides of the ledger. Karen and I and Jeff have had some great debates. We've had it with the management of a lot of these companies as well. But the fact of the matter is you are growing aggressively, but as of yet, you have not seen profitability on that GTV. Now I know that they believe that going forward that the GTV will uh, get better and that the EBITDA margin losses may well have peaked as well and they will come to profitability. And I hope that is the case, but all I'm doing is reporting exactly what I see at the moment. And that is GTV, uh, EBITDA margin, losing money, minus 1% to minus 1.5% of the gross transaction value. All right, we've established that. Good, let's move on. Karen, it's your turn. Actually, just a quick note on the deliveries because I've been sort of scratching my head. I know it's a very competitive part of the market. And while they may be building some market share, it's like, how can the numbers be up 733% in the first half of 2021 versus the same period a year ago in the UK? And you think about this time a year ago, you saw a lot of those stores actually shut and even shut to delivery, the likes of McDonald's, for instance. That's a big component for a, a company like this that services uh, the more mass market to end of the delivery scale. So the the shut uh, stores really impacting the numbers same time a year ago versus now where it's reopened. So I think that just uh, gives you some clarity around the comparables too. Even in a business where you think it might have been a pandemic winner because of all the technology, it still had a few headwinds uh, same time last year. Well, coming up on the show, Bank of America misses second quarter revenue estimates and warns of headwinds from low rates. Yeah, plus, as I get to my T's, more on the US inflation outlook and why the Fed chair Jerome Powell, well, guess what? Yes, he played down the recent surge in prices. That is shocking news for all of you, I'm sure. Uh, but it's all on the Scorebox podcast. We'll be back after a short break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
look at that U.S. market action as we saw investors get back into the trade on the Dow and the S&P. Only mild ranges, but still buying on the dip moved the market to the upside uh, just over a tenth of a percent for the major averages. Honeywell having the big impact on the Dow. For the S&P, it was Apple having the most positive impact. Worth noting, uh, we had a lot on inflation on the agenda this week, starting the CPI, but PPI also crossing yesterday, showing us a, a hot number for producer prices. The cost that uh, had been worn at the factory gate, 7.3% pop year over year in June. That is up from 6.6% in May and also well ahead of forecasts. So investors eyeing that data, but still listening to very tame messages from Jay Powell in testimony yesterday with the head of the Fed uh, still communicating that he believes that these pricing pressures are transitory. Elsewhere, we did see a little bit of a, a pullback on the Nasdaq, off two tenths of a percent. That said, there was still a lot of buying in the likes of Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft that hit record highs. Uh, big focus too on the banks uh, as we saw more earnings cross. And let's take a look at Treasury markets uh, as we've seen those messages uh, in contrast to the data that we're witnessing on inflation and the messaging carrying sway at this point, pulling that yield lower again, anchoring it back around the 1.33% mark. Asian markets today, China is the one to watch on the back of all the data that has crossed and uh, the numbers around GDP, retail sales, fixed asset investment. We've got a little bit of a lift off, four tenths of a percent higher. Hong Kong is where the green is mostly concentrated, 340 odd points to the upside of one and a quarter percent. That is offset with a little bit of red for the Australian market and also for Japan today, where there are concerns about fresh COVID infections. And Steve, I know you're looking at uh, some big swings too in some of the meme stocks. And I gather there was some disappointment that Black Widow, the new release, hasn't been enough to uh, move the needle on AMC stock. Yeah, there's a problem there, actually. Apart from the fact that you can get Black Widow at home, I don't know about what the price is in the States, but if you have the Disney Plus app, you can buy straight at home uh, and you don't have to pay that uh, that kind of price for you know, going to the cinema. I'll very quickly say that GameStop shares fall to half their June peaks as well. So we're talking about the momentum trade in um, crypto, so it seems to have disappeared uh, quite recently as well. Well, AMC and video uh, game retailer GameStop both trading below uh, half their recent peak, AMC, four straight days of losses, closed down 15%, close to 54% below its all-time high of 72.62 in early June as well. So uh, with that, Karen, I'll hand it back to you for Bank of America. Yeah, let's take a look at those shares. Uh, Bank of America was down after lower interest rates caused the lender to miss on second quarter revenue forecasts. And there's a glimpse of the, the stock trade. Thick revenues also missed expectations, while the bank saw total loans fall 12%. Speaking to CNBC, the CEO Brian Moynihan said he sees a strong economic rebound. Bank of America Securities Research Team, which is one of the best in the world, has a 7% GDP growth predicted for 2021 and about 5% for next year. So it's a strong growth rate. An economy that's gotten nearly back to where it was pre-pandemic. And so that's the backdrop. What we're seeing in our consumers is they're spending about 20% plus more money in 21 than they spent in 2019 in the second quarter. Over at Citigroup, the company beat on both the top and bottom line in the second quarter, but revenues at the US lender were hit by the impact of lower interest rates. The results were boosted after the bank released $1.1 billion from reserves it had set aside amid the pandemic. Revenues from its equities and investment bank divisions topped expectations offsetting a drop in FIC revenues. BlackRock has posted better than expected second quarter net income as strong equity markets help boost fee growth and drive assets under management to a record $9.49 trillion. 
dollars. I said that slowly because that is an extraordinary figure. 9.49, let's call it 9.5, shall we? Trillion dollars. Uh, net inflows also came in at 81 billion dollars, thanks in part to higher investments in the group's ETFs, exchange traded funds. Well, as I mentioned, Mr. Fink, Larry Fink, the CEO, uh, gave his outlook for the rest of 2021 to CNBC. Overall, with the amount of fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus, and more importantly, with the amount of cash that is looking to be put to work, and uh, I, I believe the trend line is still going to be upward, maybe not as fast, maybe it's going to be very moderate for the next six months as we digest how the world uh, is able to handle the Delta variant and the speed in which vaccinations occur throughout the world. And then two, you know, what is going to be inflation out six months in a year? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.